One in three South Africans suffers from anxiety, depression, or substance abuse disorders. It's not surprising then that we rank among the worst in the world when it comes to mental health. In the 2021 Annual Mental State of the World report from Sapien Labs, South Africa came last alongside the UK with a score of 46 on a scale between minus 100 and 200, where distressed is the lowest mental well-being score and thriving the highest score. It's time to ask ourselves if we're doing enough. While the stigma around mental illness remains, change becomes difficult, particularly with complex and overlapping disorders, which adds an additional layer of complexity when it comes to assessing clients for life insurance solutions. Welcome to the Reimagine Mental Health series on Investec Focus Radio SA, brought to you by Investec Life. I'm Katie Katapodis. October was World Mental Health Awareness Month, and I had the pleasure of facilitating Investec Life's Reimagine Mental Health Symposium, which looked at the state of mental health in the South African workforce and started the conversation on the role of the life insurance industry in helping to tackle the scourge. I also had the great honor of speaking to Grammy Award winner and international DJ and music producer Black Coffee at the event about his journey with managing ambition with mental health. For video highlights from that conversation, please search focus.investic.com. In episode one of this podcast series, we've pulled together some key takeouts from two panels at the event. Keep listening to hear from the top minds in the field who unpack how we can reimagine mental health within our South African landscape. So, you know, in the workplace, it's really interesting because recently we got a, a call from a company who said they actually think that they need some direction because what they're finding is that there's an increase of physical health complaints, like people are staying absent because of tummy complaints mm. or chronic headaches or have some heart problems. And so they realized that actually this wasn't a physical health problem, but there may be roots in a mental health problem because a lot of our mental health problems actually can present as physical illnesses. And there are lots of differences even between how it presents in males and females and even across cultures. That was specialist psychiatrist Dr. Alicia Porter, who sat on the first panel. She's talking about something that is a real challenge for corporate South Africa. In fact, employee absenteeism due to depression costs the economy approximately 19 billion rand annually. It's a situation that was exacerbated by COVID, says Cassie Chambers, operations director at SADAG, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. If we're just looking at some of the stats, pre-COVID, you were looking at about one in four employees who have been diagnosed with depression. We know that in the first six months of COVID, it increased by 30 to 36% of increase of anxiety, depression and stress. So that was almost now one in three employees that have a mental health issue. Corporates have responded to the growing prevalence of mental health issues by investing in employee assistance programs or EAPs, confidential, voluntary work-based intervention programs designed to assist employees in resolving personal problems that may be adversely affecting their performance. But something is stopping a lot of staff from taking up these services. Cassie gives her take on this anomaly. 
such an interesting link as well to having an organization that has amazing EAP programs and still finding that a lot of employees are nervous to say, actually, yes, I do have depression, I need help, or I'm not coping, or I'm anxious or stressed. So there's a lot of fear and stigma about opening up within your workplace because you're supposed to perform. You're being judged every single day. You don't want this to affect your performance. The language used in public when it comes to describing mental health is also misleading, with terms like nervous breakdown, meltdown and psycho becoming part of our everyday lexicon. Leslie Ann Gatter, Global Head of People and Organization at Investec, says this is a major barrier to destigmatizing mental health. So I think the language is so important. When we speak about physical illness, we use proper words to do that. We don't talk about cancer or other forms of chronic illness in ways that leave people feeling weak and demoralized. We use much better language when we talk about physical illness. Continuing on the theme of the language around mental health, Cassie points out that it can often be quite labeling, heavy and stigmatizing. Most of the time, people with a mental health issue are actually victims of abuse or crime and not necessarily the perpetrators. So not saying committed suicide, using less words, oh, that person is so crazy, um, so psycho. In our day-to-day -day world where we go through so many different emotions in one day, we can say, oh, I'm so depressed. Oh, I just want to kill myself. And we're seeing this with a lot of young people as well and really reframing that conversation. So when you're hearing your children on the WhatsApp groups and the social media or speaking to friends, and it's so colloquial. We wouldn't just say, oh, I'm so diabetic right now. Um, or I'm so canceric. But this is how we throw these big so terms so around true. of like, oh, I'm so depressed right now. There's no doubt that we have to work on the language we use around depression and anxiety. But Alicia also says there is a lot of confusion between what constitutes common and severe mental health issues. So we have severe mental health conditions and then we have the common mental health conditions. The severe mental health conditions only make up 1% of populations, whereas the common mental health conditions are a lot more prevalent. They are also more treatable and recovery is more the norm rather than the mm -hmm. exception. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of how many people we would be looking at, the majority would recover mm -hmm. if the right structures and support. Obviously, when there's severe mental health issues, that is then different. But that's a much smaller percentage mm -hmm. of even the workforce. We spent a lot of time on the panel discussing what it is that organizations themselves need to do to break the stigma around mental health. Leslie Ann Gatter believes it's about creating an environment of safety where employees don't think they will be punished, humiliated or discriminated against when sharing their mental health struggles. We promote inside our leadership frame here the understanding of psychological safety. That if employees don't have a sense of psychological safety at work, they come here in a very precarious situation. So the context of being in an engagement with your leader and an engagement with the team needs to be one where you feel a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. uh, that you can come here and be me, it's easy to be who I am, uh, that I can show up. This is not a good day. This is not a good time. This is a harder time in my life. And there's sufficient support in your environment to do that. Leslie Ann believes that destigmatizing mental health in organizations should be viewed through the lens of belonging, diversity and inclusion. This approach highlights the need for employers to embrace neurodiversity, which is the idea that people experience and interact with the world around them in many different ways. But how is this tied to mental health? We have people with dyslexia, people with dyspraxia. These are not mental health issues 
per se, but they are impacted by mental health and they can be caused or exacerbated by mental health issues. So when I'm dyslexic in an organization and hasn't been diagnosed in a school environment and I've managed to get through to a certain state, but I sit in an organization highly compromised by my dyslexia, but my visual capability is phenomenal and my ability to see difference in the organization or in patterns, balance sheets, income statements is quite phenomenal. It's hard for that to be recognized and supported. And then the stress that that causes and the confidence issues that are raised bring upon mental health issues. But actually, there are certain spaces and places and organizations where people, for example, who are on the spectrum, who are autistic, add massive value into an organization because of the unique and really interestingly framed skills that can be honed and utilized. And it's the responsibility of organizations to begin thinking about what are the multiple skill sets that can be used and utilized here? Where are they best located and how do we hone those strengths and how do we really make space for neurologically or neurodivergent individuals? Cassie highlights that in addition to embracing employees' uniqueness, leaders also have an important role to play when it comes to normalizing mental health issues. I think this is where we really have to break that stigma and have more champions. And it's great to have leaders who come in and say, I have depression or I suffer from anxiety and I take medication or I do therapy or I do self-care and this is how I cope. It helps employees to know that, oh, okay, it is actually a welcomed conversation. Creating a safe space at work and leaders showing their own humanity can only go so far. Corporates also need to provide unbiased, independent support for staff. Leslie Ann explains how this works at Investec. So we look at financial well-being, we look at physical well-being, we have a biopsychosocial response overall. As the employee, we see the employee as a whole person, we want to engage the whole self continue and your family and those you love and look after are a critical part of that. So for us to say you're traumatized but we're going to leave your child out of this system of care or your partner would be illogical. So the program extends to people and their families inside the organization. This proactive approach by corporates towards the mental health of their employees is one that Alicia strongly advocates. During COVID, her team studied literature coming out of Europe and China about the effectiveness of employee assistance programs during a crisis. They found that they were woefully lacking. It was the reason behind Alicia and her colleagues creating the Healthcare Workers Care Network. This nationwide healthcare worker support network offers all medical staff across the public and private sectors free support, pro bono therapy, resources, training and psychoeducation. What the literature showed was it's about a top-down approach where you have mm. to do training and you have to make mentally health savvy leaders in order to lead their teams. And so we looked at primary prevention, early detection, and then there was a crisis intervention arm. And that's how the Healthcare Workers Care Network was born, because we didn't want just a crisis intervention. Because at that point, it's far too late to actually intervene and the ship has long sailed and the kind of impact of that is so much more than if we had looked at the primary prevention and the training and the support and looking at the individual holistically. I always say when you go to work, you're not a compartment. You go with all your troubles from home into the workspace. Unfortunately, in the demanding world of work, many employees don't take the time to process these troubles. I asked Alicia for some very practical tips on how to carve out time for mindfulness. 
So, I mean, that's always an interesting question because it's this idea that we're going to need to expend more time. But I always like to view it as how do I as an individual keep my nervous system in balance daily? We were built so that we can actually manage stress. Our bodies were built to manage stress. If you've had a hectic morning, as an example, and you come to work and you already feel like, sure, my parasympathetic nervous system is going crazy. I need to calm it down. So you're going to sit maybe in your chair just for three minutes. Mm. You'll bring it down. So you start again when you see the curve moving. And that's about how we would then begin to manage it on a day-to-day basis rather than feeling like we have to carve out, you know, a whole trip to the spa in order to get me time. We'll continue this discussion in a moment. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate it. Panel two of the Investec Life event looked at a specific industry that's been hit by the new pandemic. Mental health conditions are the main cause of disability and early retirement in many countries and a major burden to economies, costing trillions every year. With mental health disability claims steadily on the rise, the insurance industry is grappling with how to respond to what's being called the hidden crisis. Sinanklanklasitomo, head of insurance business at Investec Life, outlines what he sees as an opportunity for the industry to make a real difference to people's lives. With depression, I think the statistics out there globally is that more than 80% or close to 90% of depressions can actually be cured, which means people who manage those proactively and appropriately can actually on the long term even be off medication and live a fulfilling life. And I think for insurance space where we're seeing more than three and a half billion in claims due to mental health or related to mental health in one way or another, uh, that can actually be a positive spin to it. And that actually for me in the long run means that there's more funding through those claims you can actually flip the coin and use those to support mental health initiatives that you find out there. The insurance industry relies on clients being completely honest with their health data. But due to the stigma attached to mental health issues, many people are not disclosing their condition. Professor Stoffel Hrobler, a psychiatrist at the corporate mental health company, believes that in addition to the stigma, a lot of people don't disclose their mental health status because they don't actually realize that they have an issue. Before disclosing, a person needs to know that they have a mental health issue in order to disclose. And before that, there's so many steps that I think we need to take. And a lot of it has to do with mental health literacy for me. In other words, improving people's vocabulary, improving people's understanding. What it is to have an anxiety disorder? What is your perception of somebody who is going through a depressive episode? And if we improve that mental health literacy, specifically for managers in the workplace, then you start only to get psychologically safe spaces. So for disclosure to take place, you need a psychologically safe space. Disclosure problems aside, the thing that's worrying Sinanklankla the most is that the majority of people with mental health conditions go untreated. The bigger, I think, challenge that we're seeing in the insurance space is more people are actually not getting the care. So I think the statistics is about 15% of people are actually diagnosed of their mental condition or mental illness, and the other 85% are just going undiagnosed. This could be down to the fact that there just aren't enough health professionals in the country to provide the care that people need. Here's Stoffel again with some shocking stats. 
there are only 469 psychiatrists in the whole of South Africa. So that's psychiatrists. Psychologists, mm. I'm estimating around three to 4,000 in the whole country. So the GP is frequently the first stop of many people. Last year in this month, I said publicly that if a person thinks they have a mental health disorder, they should actually first go to a psychologist and start getting treatment and become self-reflective, self-aware and build resilience and then go to the GP. I'm not knocking GPs, but the GPs go to mode will be, I'm going to prescribe something for your anxiety. Sini made the point that around 80%, so around 70% of people with the first depressive episode should be successfully treated in primary health care. And there aren't enough people to fill the gap in terms of mental health care professionals if you only look at psychiatrists and psychologists. So we need to look at different ways of delivering our service because a lot of people can be managed in a primary health care setting. Sinekhlankla believes that one of the solutions is for the insurance industry to collaborate more with the healthcare sector and medical aid schemes. We truly believe that mental health is the pandemic. We do need each industry to collaborate in its own and then cross industries. So as an example, within the actual services and the actual sector, we do need to rethink how we assess mental health as a condition that you need to price for. Same in the underwriting space within the insurance. And then holistically as, as insurers, how do we bring in the right level of sensitivities in how we deal and, and we manage and we talk to clients about mental health? Same thing for medical schemes. I mean, there are lots of issues in these medical schemes and access to the right care and the right funding for the members there. Same thing then for the medical practitioners and, and, and professionals and how they deliver that care and ensure that the clients have access to care. And then those three sectors coming together with government, obviously part of that because the public sector in the healthcare space still plays a very dominant position. And not forgetting the tech companies that are really bringing a lot of innovation, a lot of insights and the civil society that is working on the ground with the communities and our clients. Those for me, all four coming together will be a really good force mm-hmm. to tackle the pandemic. I brought in Kailash Rama, Head of Medical Underwriting at Investec Life, to explain to us about how the insurance industry currently underwrites mental health conditions. We have to reimagine how we're going to risk rate, how we're going to look at our clients from a different perspective completely. And for the last 30 years that I've been underwriting, it's always been risk rated exactly the same. Every insurance industry would rate the same for a bipolar person. They would rate the same for someone that's got anxiety. What we have to do is break away from that. And we are at present looking at different tools and how we're going to underwrite mental health. When I say different tools, we're going to look at not just your plain, like, okay, tell me what treatments are you on? Have you been hospitalized? You know, have you had a suicide attempt, ideation, etc.? We're looking at various other aspects of mental health. So tell me about your social life. You know, do you have a social life? Do you have a support structure? Who's at home looking after you when you're having one of those bad days? You know, what what type of medication are you on? Are you seeking the necessary help that you need to seek in order to get the required help? And that's what we need to do from an insurance perspective going forward. It's not to say, okay, fine, you know, yes, you're bipolar, we're going to raise you as a bipolar. It's not that. Unlike many other illnesses, mental health conditions are not black or white, but they sit in the grey. And that's not a position that insurers are traditionally comfortable operating in. Over to Sinan
the continuous nature of the condition of mental health, which is complete. Unlike a cancer, for example, a cancer, you've got a stage one, progressive stage two and stage three, but it doesn't move back to stage one and next year it's in stage four and keeps back and forth. So mental health is so continuous and so dynamic that just challenges the models we've been using, challenges the thinking that you've always had about tangible physical health that you've always been good in ensuring. And I think for me, that's really the biggest gap that we, at a technical level, as an industry, we still need to appreciate and be able to incorporate appropriately. There is an elephant in the room, though, and that's the issue of fairness. Insurers are duty-bound to be fair to clients that apply for cover. This is straightforward. For example, when it comes to risk rating somebody with a high BMI versus someone with a low BMI. But when it comes to mental health conditions, it is not as clear-cut. In terms of mental health, where I believe that there might be some fairness issues and questions that we still have to think about is where someone is proactively looking for support, looking for care, and is disclosing that, then we tend to be punitive compared to someone who's oblivious about their mental health, not necessarily taking as much of the care for various reasons that we can explore. But that person then is not necessarily duty bound to disclose because they haven't necessarily been diagnosed with the condition, but they could be in a far worse position and condition in terms of the risk assessment. But we we can't do that. So is it fair then for the 15% that are seeking proactive care versus the 85% that could actually be rocking the boat for the insurers, but yet we're not incorporating that. So fairness has to be at a broad level rather than one individual when we assess them. In closing, I asked Sinanklankla what Investec Life hopes to achieve by starting this discussion on mental health in the industry. And for me, I think what we battle with is as an insurers, we are always at the tail end of, of that situation when things have gone bad. And that's really where it sits us financially. And I think being at the tail end of that situation, of that position of our clients is not sustainable. I just wonder then if we're battling and we, we're seeing this wave of mental health challenges, how it's going to be looking like uh, as an actual, you have to look into, into five years, 10 years, 20 years time. What does it actually mean? And if we're going to still as an insurer be at the tail end of the conversation and of uh, our clients' lives, it's really going to be there. Mm-hmm. So we have to really be more proactive. And I like what I said earlier, how do we manage to proactively and on and going basis support individuals, support communities, and for us, support our clients. And that, for me, is a call and the ask for us. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of our Reimagined Mental Health series, brought to you by Investec Life, an authorised FSP and licensed insurer. If you'd like to listen to the next episode when it comes out in a month's time, please subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, from me, Katie Katapodis, and the Investec Life team, goodbye, and remember to take special care of your mental well-being. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Bank Limited, an authorized financial service provider and registered credit provider, Investec Life Limited is a licensed life insurance company and an authorized financial services provider. T's and C's apply.